Well, nothing you've seen today thus far has really been super normal. And uh, tonight is going to be um, a lot different than what we normally have. Uh, we still are going to look at our Bibles. We still are going to look into God's Word as being our rule for faith and practice and directing us. But we're just going to do it uh, a different way, and, and it's just going to be very different than going through a book study. Because tonight we really want to talk about uh, children's ministry and children's ministry philosophy and why we're doing what we're doing here at Grace Church. And this is designed to be an opportunity for parents uh, to understand what we're trying to accomplish. But it's also designed for us as a church, all right? So, I mean, I know I look out and not everyone sitting in front of me is a parent with kids in our children's ministry. And yet, I'm convinced that children's ministry is a church activity, all right? So, um, what we're going to talk about tonight has bearing on you, whether you have kids or not. And things we're going to talk about tonight are going to come... As much as possible, we derive our philosophy from the Word of God, and so there are going to be passages for us to look into, and even, even as we look into these passages, um, as we consider them within our philosophy, there is benefit for you as we look at those passages, even if you don't have kids, as we consider together some theological things, some practical things. So I really want this time to be valuable time, and I'd also really like this time to... Um, to even be an, an informal time. There's not many of us here tonight, and I just want you to know you are welcome to ask a question if you'd like at some point tonight. You want to raise your hand, that's fine. Um, I always tell the kids they need to raise their hand before they talk, and I think that's probably a good rule for adults too. But, I mean, if you want to ask something, you're welcome to do that. When we get to the end, we're certainly going to take questions and answers. Uh, if we run out of questions and answers about children's ministry, we'll even expand that out to other Q&A. But I really want tonight to be a time for us to interact around God's Word, and I want this to be a valuable time for us. So, as I was thinking about describing children's ministry, I, I thought it might be a help for you for me to share my testimony on um, how the Lord has kind of brought me to where he's brought me when it comes to children's ministry. Um, and, and really to see that, for you to, to understand that what's going on at Grace and what, is, what has gone in my own heart has, has been a work that God has been in process um, for a long time doing. Um, some of you know I grew up in a pastor's home. Um, I was I was saved at a really early age, and even that is something that influences my view of children's ministry. Um, I, the clearest time I can remember, um, as I called on on Christ to save me, um, I was about seven years old, and I was already in kindergarten. I had a kindergarten teacher who was a Christian that was sharing the gospel with me, and my parents were doing nightly devotions, and I can remember a time of about two weeks that for two solid weeks I was under conviction. And even as a seven-year-old, I understood what conviction meant. I understood that I was a sinner. And it was two solid weeks that I fought that. And I kind of, I, I didn't want to think about all of those things. And I remember one night distinctly, it was after family devotions, I had gone to bed. And I was thinking through a, a Bible story that had been told to me. And, um, you know, kids think a lot of different things about salvation. Some, people, some kids are scared of hell. Some, some, people, some kids just look at things a lot differently. Um, but I remember the one thought that was running through my brain the most as a seven-year-old was, I'm not good enough to go to heaven. And uh, I was in my bed, I was actually crying, and my mom came in, she said, what's wrong? And that's exactly what I told her, I'm not good enough to go to heaven. Uh, that was my understanding of my need for salvation. And so again, she explained the gospel, and in just a simple seven-year-old way, I admitted to God that I wasn't good enough to go to heaven, and that I needed Jesus to go to heaven. And um, that really, there was a lot I didn't understand about the gospel. There's a lot of things that I, I may not have even grasped about the rest of the Bible, but I understood that basic idea that I'm not good, God expects only goodness, and I have to rely on him. 
And, and I really believe that's, that's at the heart of the gospel, that faith, that trust, that understanding that there's only one way to heaven, that way is through Christ. And so even though I couldn't have explained to you what, what justification was, I couldn't explain to you imputation, I mean, I couldn't use any, but as a seven-year-old I knew, I'm not good enough. And I really believe that moment my life was changed, and, and the fruit of that was that I started to live differently. And I think it's true that even a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old can live differently as a Christian eight-year-old than an unsaved seven-year-old and eight-year-old. And um, from an early time, I started to love the Word of God, and I, I wanted to learn it. Um, again, that wasn't a, a mature thing. It wasn't an adult thing, but it was a growing it was a growing thing. And so I was, I was privileged to have the parents that I did. And, and my parents have really shaped so much of my thinking when it comes to children's ministry. Uh, my parents have always been very active um, in their church when it comes to children. And they've been very formative. Because I think my parents have really, um, especially, especially my mom, has a really honed sense um, when it comes to children of what's appropriate for them. Um, she has never, she showed me someone who was always cautious about pushing um, salvation on kids, and yet someone who was willing to say, hey, even a kid can come to Christ. They poured a lot of effort into children's ministry, and that was an example for me. Um, one of the things we did was vacation Bible school, and um, our vacation Bible school went through uh, sixth grade. And once we were out of sixth grade, it was just a done deal that when you're out of sixth grade, then you become a helper. Uh, and so I'd really say, as a seventh grader, that was my first experience as in children's ministry. Uh, my brothers and I were in charge of game time, all right? So that was a, I was a, a good niche for me as a seventh grader. We did game time. And that was the beginning of my experience with children's ministry, and that, that continued um, all throughout my time with my parents. Um, but the Lord really started to touch my heart when it came to children when I was in college. Uh, when I was in college, I was working, um, I worked two summers at a Christian camp. Um, most often, I worked with teenagers. And I quickly learned that teenagers was not the niche that I fit into most comfortably. Um, teenagers and I just, I mean, we did fine and we had a good time. But there were lots of other guys that just really clicked. And, you know, they were one of the guys and just things went really well for them. And I, I had to work a little harder with the teenage guys. And, um, I mean, ministry is ministry, so, I mean, it, it went fine. But it wasn't anything that really, you know, I really took to. Um, but during those during those summers, they, they had what they called family camps. And during family camps, it was they just bring a whole family, um, whatever age. And so um, they asked me for a couple family camps to come work with the kids. In fact, to um, do all of the teaching during the teaching times. Um, there was about three different times of teaching during the day. And that was my first extended time of teaching kids. And I really enjoyed that time. Um, it's where I first started to experiment with crazy object lessons and fun stuff like that. And uh, I was with those kids all day. Um, their parents would go to the session. They'd drop them off. Um, and it was a, a crew of us, you know, five of us that were with these kids of all ages all day long. And uh, I really enjoyed those times, and it was just kind of fun, and, and it went well. And uh, I'll never forget, um, at the end of one of those weeks, a pastor came up to me. And I didn't know he'd been watching me. He had never said anything all week. And uh, he said, um, hey, I just want to talk to you for a second. Um, have you ever considered that children's ministry might be something God wants to do with your life? And I said, well, no, I've, I've actually never thought of that. And he said, well, I just want you to know that I've been watching you. I, I listened to some of your teaching, and I'd really encourage you to think about that. And that was the one moment that the seed was planted in my heart that said, hey, this, this might be something that, that I should look into. And I didn't know it then, but that was really the beginning of the Lord kind of prodding me towards children's ministry and just the encouragement from someone who was a brother in Christ that said, hey, this is something you should consider. And the Lord really used that comment from a stranger. I don't know his name. I still don't know him. But he really used that comment. Um, even when I got to seminary, 
um, down at, um, when I was in South Carolina, um, I was going to seminary, and I was teaching um, four-year-olds in our church. Um, I was looking for a place to serve, and they said, there's no one teaching four-year-olds. And I said, all right, great, I'll, I'll teach four-year-olds. So that was, I started teaching Sunday school four-year-olds, and man, that's a trip, teaching a whole class of four-year-olds. And we had about, oh, I don't know, 30 of them. Um, it's, I mean, we've got about 30 kids, 30 to 40 kids here on a weekly basis, but they're all spread out ages. These were just four-year-olds. So Kathy and I did that together. Um, when I went to Grace Community Church, I got plugged into children's ministry as well there. And uh, I moved up a whole year and started teaching five-year-olds. Um, and we had another 30 to 45-year-olds, which is even more of a trip than teaching four-year-olds. Um, but I just say that to say that um, children's, ministry, children's ministry is something that the Lord had laid on my heart. And it wasn't something that I had tried to seek out. It just ex- opportunities kept coming up, and I kept taking them. And he just seemed to keep confirming through the testimony of the church that, hey, you should really think about doing this. Um, and so that's what originally brought me up here. Adam was going to do some preaching back when we had rotating preachers coming up. And he said, why don't you come up and do the kids? I know you're working with kids, so come do the kids. Give the, give the seeds workers a break. And so kids was how the Lord brought me here in the first place. Um, and eventually that turned into Adam and I becoming a team, becoming a pastoral team with me being focused on kids. And so that's what I do now. I focus mostly on kids. Um, I do teaching on Sunday, and I also write curriculum. So I'm still writing um, children's curriculum for Grace Community Church down south, and then I'm teaching our kids as well. So um, that's kind of how, just to give you a little history of where all this has come from. And um, I I say all that just to say that that that's the Lord's doing that has pushed all these buttons at the right times to bring me here at this point. Um, And so I've, I've enjoyed children's ministry, I love children's ministry, and it's something that we really want to do well here. And so I just want to um, go through um, a quick, maybe not so quick, um, philosophy for us to think together of why we minister to kids the way we do. All right, I'm going to read you a paragraph. I know reading is, is not a whole lot of fun, but then we're going to explain it as we go throughout. And this, this really, I think, is the summary of how I look at children's ministry here and how I'd like to encourage all of us to think about children's ministry. All right, here goes. Children's ministry aims to come alongside parents in helping them fulfill their biblical parenting responsibilities. For God to be worshipped and glorified, children's ministry will attempt to evangelize children as well as teaching them the character of God in age-appropriate ways. In a safe and clean environment, children's ministry will provide an attractive, captivating, and challenging place for children to desire to learn about God. Grace Church, as a church, Grace Church will serve parents through physical and spiritual care, and serve children through loving biblical instruction. All right? I know that's a mouthful, um, but that's the direction we're going, and we're just kind of work through this little statement, talk about it, see some biblical principles behind it, and then we can literally talk about it back and forth to each other. All right? Uh, the first statement, children's ministry aims to come alongside parents in helping them fulfill their biblical parenting responsibilities. I think that's the right place for us to start this evening, and, and we really need to lay that foundation. And so let's go to Ephesians 6. All right, Ephesians 6. Some of you may have already been thinking about this passage, but Ephesians 6 kind of the classic passage when it comes to um, family relationships. Um, Paul's been concluding Ephesians um, with what it means to walk in the light, um, to walk in love, to, to walk in a way that is fitting the first three chapters when we talked about salvation. Um, so Ephesians 5, of course, we get to the end, the, uh, just a beautiful description of the husband and wife relationship. 
And then we get to chapter 6, and we get to family relationships. And we read in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay? It's the right thing for children to obey their parents as long as their parents are giving instruction in the Lord. Okay? Children, obey your parents in the Lord as long as it doesn't contradict something the Lord says. Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise. All right? Here's a, we said this morning that all of the commands of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. This is the place where the Fifth Commandment is repeated. Um, so this is an instruction from Christ. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. The quote from the Ten Commandments. Verse 4, fathers, dads, do not provoke your children to anger. All right? On the one hand, dads, you're not supposed to always be prodding your kids and making them mad. Okay? That's an instruction from God. Um, that's an interesting thing. Just as a side note, there are some fathers here. Um, fathers, you need to understand that when Paul was writing to you, uh, when God was speaking to you about family relationships, his concern for you is that you would not provoke your children to wrath which says to us that this is, a, this is something that comes to the, to the front of the mind when it thinks about parents interacting with their children, that it's easy for you to provoke them to wrath, to make them angry, uh, to rule over them in a way that just kind of squashes them, is, is thoughtless about how they feel about things, doesn't care how you say it, it's my way or the highway, here's the way it's going to be, provoking them to anger, okay? That's a danger when it comes to parenting. So we're told negatively, do not provoke your children to anger, but... Here are the words that you knew I was getting to. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. The ways of the Lord. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. The teaching of our Christ. So the teaching of our Christ is, is not just for us as his disciples. It's also for your children. All right? Now Ephesians 6 squarely puts the burden of training up children where? Okay, parents. Ephesians 6 doesn't say, parents, send your kids to seeds class on Sunday, and so they will be nurtured in the admonition of the Lord, all right? It doesn't say, parents, go find the best Christian school you can find and let them raise your kids. Uh, it, it doesn't say, you know, find, find a good babysitter that's going to... No, it says, parents, it's your responsibility. It's on you to train up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So the weight of, of kids, of parenting... Um, falls on parents, not on anybody else. And I think we need to be clear about that. Um, even in our day of, of Christian school, and, and even as we think about children's ministry, um, we want children's ministry to be an opportunity for kids to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And yet, children's ministry only happens as a support to parents, to what parents are doing. All right? And let's not kid ourselves. If, if parents aren't raising up their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you know, an hour or two hours on any given Sunday is never going to accomplish that. Right? Um, what was the what was the Deuteronomic Deuteronomic there we go. What was the Deuteronomic perspective on, on teaching kids? Anyone think about Deuteronomy six? What is Deuteronomy six? Um, although, again, harking back to this morning, Deuteronomy six is not a passage that we say I have to go obey this and teach my children the law, but what did Deuteronomy six say you had to do when it came to teaching your kids, all right? What was the right way to go about teaching kids? Was it uh, wait till wait till Sunday and then Give them a good two-hour dose, and then be on your way. All right, is that what Deuteronomy 6 says? No, what's Deuteronomy 6 say about training up children when it comes to the instruction of spiritual things? Anyone start right now? All right, how about that general idea? Anyone, even if you can't say the exact words? Yeah. 
Okay, you're thinking Proverbs, but that's fine. That's, that's fine. Um, that's a piece of wisdom, train up children in a way to go. And generally speaking, um, that's, a, that's a general proverb. Okay, yeah, Jill's got it. Uh, it says that, hey, when your children are sitting down, teach them. When they rise up, teach them. When you go to bed, teach them. When you're in the way, when you're just walking down the road, you teach them. The point is that you ought to always be in the process of teaching children, and that's something that especially needs to continue today, because are your kids constantly being taught today? Yeah, I mean, your kids are constantly being indoctrinated. The question is, who's doing the teaching, okay? Maybe your TV is doing the teaching, uh, maybe the public school is doing the teaching, or maybe you are taking that in hand and you're doing the teaching. But somehow or another, your kids are constantly being taught a worldview and a perspective, and if parents aren't the ones instilling a biblical worldview and a biblical perspective, then children's ministry is never going to accomplish that for your kids. You're, if you're not doing it, a Christian school is never going to accomplish that for your kids. Not that those things can't be helpful, but they're not going to do it. The, the burden falls on you. Okay? Um, and so we say that children's ministry aims to come alongside parents in helping them fulfill their biblical parenting responsibilities. Uh, We need to keep children's ministry in its place. There's a right place for children's ministry, but it's not to take the place of parents. It's to help parents, all right? So what are some ways that we help parents? Well, one way we are trying to help parents is to, in the little amount of time that we have, explain the Word of God in a clear way and in a helpful way, okay? We try to do that every Sunday. We're trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Other children's workers are trying to help you when it comes to instructing, things about the Bible. That's something you should be doing all week, okay? If, and, and parents, I, um, I speak as, as an encourager um, and not a, not a beat-downer. Um, if, if Sunday is the only time that your kids are being taught the Bible, then you need to rethink Ephesians 6 and your place, okay? Ephesians 6 tells us that, man, you need to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that can't just be Sunday. They're you have got to be proactive in teaching them things about the Word of God. And, I mean, I know if, if you're talking family devotions, I mean, I know that's hard. I know that doesn't come easy. I know that's a struggle um, to be intentional with our kids about teaching them the Word of God. But it's not an option for us as biblical parents, okay? We've got to be teaching them. And children's ministry is just designed to come alongside and try to help you in that endeavor, all right? Children's ministry aims to come alongside parents um, and the next sentence has to do with our purpose and why, why we're doing this. And it says, For God to be worshipped and glorified, children's ministry will attempt to evangelize children, etc. All right? What we're trying to accomplish is for God to receive worship and glory. And there's a statement from one of my favorite writers about uh, missions existing that, that perfectly applies to children's ministry. Um, his statement was, Missions exist because the worship of God does not. It's the exact same thing about children's ministry, okay? Children's ministry exists because the worship of God does not. Your children do not naturally worship God. They need help. They need to be taught. They need to be shown. They need worship to be modeled, all right? So when we have children's ministry, one of the things that we do every week is we pray. Kids need to be shown how to pray, and so we pray together. A lot of you may know we we use the ACTS. Um, A is for adoration. We start with things that are wonderful about God. And then we move to C, which is for confession. And we actually, every week, we say, what are some examples of sins that you have done? And we write down on the board, I lied, I disobeyed, I stole from my brother. All right? Confession is an important part of prayer. We move to T, the thanksgiving. And we ask, I say, what are you thankful for today? And you would love it, uh, you parents. I mean, there's some great stuff they come up with thanksgiving. They're thankful for family. They're thankful for pets. They're thankful for rabbits. They're thankful for dogs. They're thankful for clothes. 
And at any time of the year, they're thankful for Christmas. I mean, it doesn't matter when it is, they're thankful for Christmas. Um, so we get a lot of, so we talk about Thanksgiving, and then we end with S, and I always say, uh, now, the S is a great big word, and I'm sure nobody remembers it, and they all yell at the same time, supplication. And I say, what does supplication mean? And they say, well, it just means to ask. It's a request. And so then we take requests, and I say, what are things we can pray for? And again, we just get some amazing prayer requests. Um, you know, pray for my brother because he's been mean to me today. Um, pray for our dog because it, it's sick. Uh, you know, pray for my cousin's dog because it's sick. Um, and then we get, the, you know, the really serious ones. Pray for my uncle because he doesn't love Jesus. I mean, it, it just runs the gamut. But kids need to be shown how to pray and that prayer matters. Um, they, they may not, they're not going to naturally know how to pray, and they need encouragement to that. And that needs to become a natural thing for them, that they say, Mommy and Daddy pray, um, we pray in church, um, prayer is a real thing. Prayer is not a game. I, when I talk out loud, God is actually listening, okay? So we model prayer in worship. Um, we model singing in worship, all right? So every week we sing together. And when we, when we sing, um, we do sing some silly songs, some kind of fun songs. Um, and yet when we sing, we always try to sing songs that have, that have teaching value in them, that have information in them. Um, because it's a tricky thing when it comes to kids, but when, when kids are singing, it's not the same as when you and I are singing, right? I mean, when we're singing as a corporate body, we're worshiping our God. The problem with our kids is that some of them don't even know God. And so they're singing. It may be fun for them, um, but it's not worship. And yet they need to be shown that this is how worship works. We sing to our God, and God is actually listening. So we try to sing songs that, that talk about the character of God. Um, we try to sing songs that tell a Bible story. Um, we have some great songs, complete with motions, anyone from you know King David to Moses crossing the Red Sea to the 12 men went to spy on Canaan land. We're trying to give songs that give information, biblical information, and that's helping them learn how to worship. Um, and it's teaching them that worship is what God expects from them. And so here again, for those of you that are going, what does all this have to do with me? Worship is what God expects of you too, all right? These are things that by now in your adult life ought to be second nature to you, your adult Christian life. And prayer ought to be something that's always a part of your life. And worship through singing ought to be something that comes naturally to you. Um, we talk a lot about worship through singing, but I, just to make a brief comment when it comes to our worship together and singing, I hope when, you, when we get together on Sunday and when it comes to singing, um, your brain doesn't just check out. Um, that you don't go either I don't know the song so I'm not going to sing it or uh, I know the song so well I'm going to sing it without ever thinking about it I mean that's an opportunity to worship like Sundays are a chance for us as a body to sing songs that God is listening to from heaven and receiving worship for and kids need to learn that that's actually going on okay and you need to worship as well all right so we want God to be glorified in worship and he's not going to be naturally so we try to teach kids um Children's ministry is going to attempt to evangelize children, okay? And, uh, and here's where I really want to spend the bulk of our theological time. Why do we need to evangelize children, all right? Why do we need to evangelize children? Okay, because they're lost. It's a, it's, a, it's a simple answer, and yet it's an answer that a lot of people just skate on past, all right? And uh, a lot of people just kind of ignore the reality that, that when you talk about mission field, We've got one. You have one. Uh, if you're a parent, you gave birth to your own mission field, okay? You brought forth sinners, and they need the gospel. We evangelize children because they're lost, and the only way they're ever going to be saved is for them to believe the gospel. And so they need to understand what the gospel is, and at some point they need to come from not just a head knowledge of the gospel, but to a heart, grasp, and belief 
of the gospel. All right. We say children are lost. We say that they are sinners. Why are children sinners? All right. Did you ever think about this? Why are children sinners? Anyone know the biblical answer for why children are sinners? What's that? Okay, good. They come from Adam. All right, and we can um, we can blame this whole sin thing on Adam. It's what we call technically original sin. Original sin refers to Adam's initial sin and the effects that it had on himself and on all his children. You see, Adam's children can never claim to be innocent, or they can never claim to have been stripped of their innocence, because every child of Adam that has come into existence is a sinner by nature and thus guilty before God, by nature, okay, from birth. We are sinners. Let's look at Romans 5, the kind of classic passage that nails us all to the wall that says we're all sinners and so we're all guilty and we're all deserving judgment by nature, okay? By nature. That's in, When I say by nature, what I'm saying is that we are sinners, and, I, and I'm going to do a turn of the phrase around, but it's, it's not just a pedantic thing. We are, we are sinners. Are we sinners because we sin or do we sin because we're sinners, right? Those are two very different things. And there are some people that say, well... We're sinners because we sin. All right, what's that statement saying? That statement's saying, well, we're sinners because at some point we did something wrong. All right? But I would argue that the biblical understanding is we sin because we're sinners. In other words, by nature, we already are sinners on the inside. You never had to do anything after being born to become a sinner. You already were a sinner. All right, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Who's the one man? Okay, Adam. So sin came into the world through Adam. Um, it couldn't be any clearer than this, that, that sin entered the world through Adam. So in other words, before Adam sinned, sin wasn't in the world. All right? We just had this whole, whole long discussion in Sunday school about the problem of evil and God. Um, was, there, was there sin in the world before Adam actually did it? No. Um, was God the one that, that decreed that sin would be allowed to exist? Absolutely. Is God, God blamable for that? No, who's to blame? Adam's to blame. It's through Adam that sin came into the world. And what came as well as sin? Death. Death came through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right? So through Adam, not only sin came, but the, the penalty, the punishment for sin came on every single person. Um, verse 13 reminds us that sin indeed was in the world before the law was even given. All right? Before the Mosaic law... There was sin. Um, verse 14 tells us, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So even the people who sinned not in the exact same way as Adam did, even they died. And so because they died, we know that they were sinners. Because death is always the result of sin. Sin brings death. Okay. So even before there was the Mosaic Law, there was sin. There was the breaking of God's law, even though it wasn't the Mosaic Law. Okay. Let's look down in verse number 17 of Romans 5. If because of one man's trespass, one man's sin, that's Adam's, death reigned through that one man. Death reigned. It, it conquered over all. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass, one single sin, just one, just that refusal to obey God when it came to eating the fruit, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience, the many, all right, we have the one who disobeyed, and the many, what happened to them? They were made sinners. Why were you made a sinner? Because Adam sinned. All right, there is a direct connection between Adam's sin and you being born a sinner. It's a direct, it's because of that. It's a causal connection. Because of his sin, you were made a sinner. All right? We, we just cannot avoid the fact that Adam's sin was passed down to us. And there, there's a lot of different arguments about, well, how did that happen? What was the mechanism? Um, and quite frankly, Romans 5 doesn't tell us. It just says that it's so. That, that Adam, because he sinned, you were born a sinner. And there's lots of other Lots of other passages that talk about us being born a sinner. Uh, Psalm 51, 5. Uh, Psalm 51, that great psalm of repentance on David's part. He's talking about his personal sin. And he says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. All right? He's not saying my mom sinned sexually somehow, and that's how I was conceived. He's saying I was brought forth when I was born. I was a sinner at that point. In Psalm 58.3, he says, The wicked go astray from, do you know where it says? The wicked go astray from the womb. All right? It doesn't say they go astray from when they turn 12. It doesn't say they go astray from when they get a bad influence, whenever they get to junior high. The Bible says they go astray from the womb. They err from birth. They err from birth speaking lies. See, all of our, all of our children and all of us, we were born sinners. We inherited it. It's, it's a nasty inheritance, but it's what we have. Um, point Paul makes in Romans 5, all die because all sin, and all die because one sinned, because Adam sinned. So the death of, of everyone is grounded in the fact that everyone sins, and the death of all is grounded in the fact that only one person sinned, and that was Adam. Okay? Now, if you happen to say, I don't think it's right, have you, have you ever asked yourself this? I mean, I don't think it's right that I have to die for Adam's sin. I mean, I didn't do it. Adam did it. It's not right. I'm going to complain about that. All right? Well, by the same token, you need to ask yourself, is it right for God to give us righteousness when we didn't have any? You see, it's the principle of imputation. It goes both ways. We got Adam's sin, and we got Christ's righteousness. Either way, we weren't the ones that acted out what we received. Okay? It was given to us. And all mankind has been given the sin and the guilt of Adam. And that directly connects to our kids. Um, Because unless you excuse away sin in your kids, unless you act like, well, they just didn't know, or, man, my kid was tired, or my kid is teething, or, you know, my kid, the neighbor kid, really. No, I mean, as a parent, you know that your kids are sinners, unless you just are explaining a lot of things away. You know your kids are sinners. Um, and you know that no one ever has to teach your kid to sin, all right? Now, you know I'm, I'm a new parent, um, but, but I know this works this way, that I never at any point had to sit Silas down and go, now look, buddy, when, when Daddy tells you no, don't touch, what I want you to do is wait till Daddy's not looking and then reach out and touch it. It's called disobeying. You should give it a try today. No, I never had to do that. He just did it naturally. It just, it just came. And you know your kids are that way. You never had to teach your kids how to lie. You never had to teach your kids how to steal. You never had to teach your kids to be disobedient. You never had to teach your kids how to hit their brothers or sisters. They just did it. It's because they're sinners, okay? And you are the, you are the same way. Um, it's not just our kids. It's all of us. Um, I can remember the first time that I actually watched Silas sin deliberately. And uh, as I recall, he was about six months old. 
Uh, Kathy had gone to church for a little ladies' meeting. It was just Silas and me, some good daddy time. And uh, he was kind of crawling around on the floor, and um, we had this plant. It was a potted plant that sat on the floor. and had great big, great big leaves, like elephant ear or something like that. And he was fascinated with the thing. And uh, his fascination meant he'd reach out and grab it and then pull. And so he would just pull little Silas-sized handfuls of chunks out of this leaf. And so I said, Silas, no. And he looked at me. I was sitting on the couch. And he looked at me, and he kind of scooted away from the plant. He understood that I had said no. And uh, I looked down a couple minutes later, and what's Silas doing? He's reaching for the plant. And so I reach over, and I say, Silas, Daddy said no touch. And he scoots back from the plant. I go back from the couch, and I watch him out of the corner of my eye. And I watch him look at me, and I watch him look at the plant. And he looks at me, and he looks at the plant, and then what does he do? All right? He goes for the plant. He chooses to go for it and receives the, the just reward for his, con- for his actions. All right? And that was the moment as my little boy sat screaming in both shock and a little bit of pain because his hands got smacked that, that I realized that I brought home a little bundle of pagan. All right? And, and you did too. When you came home from the hospital, that cute little bundle of, of pink or blue was a little bundle of pagan, all right? Our kids are born sinners. And there's no such thing as an automatic Christian. And so our kids need the gospel because the only way to change their condition of being a sinner is to give them the gospel. It's the only remedy. All right, let me run through a couple pitfalls when it comes to evangelizing children. These are not from me, um, but these are helpful, I think. Uh, pitfall in evangelizing children. Number one is oversimplifying the gospel of Christ, all right? Like adults, children need to be able to understand the gospel clearly before they can be saved. So they need to be able to grasp concepts like good and evil, sin and punishment, repentance and faith. They need to know God's holiness and that he's wrathful against sin. They need to understand that Jesus came back from the dead after dying on a cross. Um, They need to understand that Jesus took their place, all right? We can't just oversimplify the gospel of Christ because we want our kids to be saved. There are facts that you cannot fudge on when it comes to the gospel. And until our kids can grasp those facts, we need to just keep repeating them and reviewing them. And certainly we need to use terminology that they can understand, but our kids need the gospel and they need the whole gospel. We can't just pretend, well, they learned they're sinners, that's good enough. No, our kids need the whole package of the gospel of Christ. All right, it's dangerous to oversimplify the gospel. It's dangerous to coerce a profession from our kids. All right, I mean, you can wring anything out of a kid. I mean, kids are so pliable. And, and this is something that I am keenly aware of when it comes to children's ministry. I mean, at any time, I can wring a little heart. I can, I can tell a good enough story. I can use my influence on a kid. I can, I can say, Pastor David really wants you to do this. Your mommy and daddy really want you to do this. All you have to do is pray this little prayer. I mean, you could totally coerce a kid into a profession of faith. That's dangerous. You can assume the reality of regeneration. Um, you can... You can just say, man, I want my kid to be saved, and so I'm just going to assume, I'm just gonna assume that he is. Because surely you don't want to think that your kid's not a Christian. I mean, no parent wants to think that, and so you just kind of assume the reality when it's not really true. And another danger is assuring the ch- your child of salvation. I just like to encourage you. And again, I mean, I realize I'm not, a, I'm not a parent who's way down the road, and every parent I'm talking to has kids that are, that are older than mine. But I would just like to encourage you with the weight of other people's experience and with, my, with even what little of, of my own I've seen, look, don't be the parent who says, when your kid is in junior high or in high school, 
But look, here's where I wrote down in your Bible that you got saved. Okay? Don't be that parent. And I don't ever want to be that pastor. And I don't want our children's ministry to ever be that excuse. Well, I remember the time that you prayed your prayer. And so even though right now you're, you're living it up and, and you're sinning left and right and you don't care about God and you don't care about Sunday, I remember the time that you prayed your prayer and I wrote it down in your Bible for you. So yeah, you're saved. Don't worry about it. But don't be that parent, all right? That's dangerous. That's a pitfall when it comes to evangelizing children. Instead of that, what you can be doing and what I want to be doing in children's ministry is setting a consistent example of godliness. That's something you parents can do at your home and it's something I want to happen in children's ministry. Set a consistent example of godliness that... that the true gospel, that grace changes everything about our lives. Not just how we view salvation. All of the gospel touches every part of our lives. And so as we live, as parents, and, and, and really for the rest of you, as we live as a church body, I mean, our kids are watching, not just our parents, but all of us as we gather for church. And they see that, man, there's a lot of other people besides mom and dad that think this is really important. And there's all these other people singing. And there's all these other people praying. Look, that's an example of godliness to our kids that will make the gospel compelling. All right. Um, we also we need to set an example, but we need to proclaim the complete gospel of Christ. All right, the whole thing, the whole package. God is the Creator. He's holy. He doesn't allow sin, but you are a sinner, and so Jesus died on the cross to take away your sin. And He came. He rose from the dead in order to pay for your sin. And the only way you're ever getting to heaven is to put your trust in Him. All right, the whole gospel, not leaving any part out. It's the truth found in God's Word that saves, but that truth has to be understood. And that's a tricky thing with kids. When, when do they believe? How much do they know? But they have to have the whole gospel. And we need to understand what the biblical evidences of salvation are. Um, you need to be able to look at your kids and say, is that a sign of conversion or not? And whenever you see a possible sign of conversion, you need to encourage that. I mean, don't discourage your kids if they say, do you know what, I, I believe in Jesus. Don't go, well, yeah, but you're sick, so yeah, I mean, you don't really believe in Jesus. Uh, no, you need to encourage that. Yes, you should believe in Jesus today. And what I always tell the kids whenever they say something like that in class, you need to believe in Jesus today, and you need to believe in him tomorrow, too. You always need to believe in Jesus. All right, encourage those signs um, of conversion of belief. And lastly, you need to trust the absolute sovereignty of God. Um, you're not going to try as we might. We are never going to save our kids. All right? And, I mean, I'm honest about that. I cannot save Silas. I can't do it. I can pray for him. I can try to give him the gospel. I can try to be the best example I can be. But guess what? I can't save him. Only God can do that work. And so I beg him to do that. I do my best to join him in that. But I need to trust that God can do that work, and I can't. All right? And that's what children's ministry is about. I, I want your kids to be saved. I really do. I want every kid in children's ministry to be saved. But I can't make that happen. I can be faithful, and we can do our best. We can pray to those ends. But we're going to have to trust that God is going to do it. All right? We've got a couple dangers. On the one hand, there's a danger of leading children to think they're saved when really they're not. And on the other, there's the risk of discouraging children who express a genuine desire to follow Christ, and neither of those are dangers we want to fall in. All right, time is quickly getting away from me. We want to teach kids not only the gospel, we want to teach them the character of God. And I want you to know that's something that happens every week in children's ministry. When we study the Old Testament, we are saying, how does this point to the character of God? I'm not interested in going to the story of David and Goliath and saying, wow, wasn't David strong? Or, you know, God can help you defeat the Goliaths in your life. All right? These are stories that point to the character of God and God's at work in, throughout the whole story of David and Goliath. So I don't want to just tell your kid a story. I want him to see how God is the hero of that story, even in the Old Testament. We teach the character of God in everything we do. And we're trying to teach it in, a, in an age-appropriate way. All right? 
What I mean is we, we want to teach in an age-appropriate way, but not an imprecise way. So we want to use words, use language the kids can understand, but not at the expense of watering down the truth or, or of ignoring what the truth is. And, and that includes even, the, even some of the trickier details. Uh, I remember I was, um, we were just doing the story of Rahab the harlot, okay? And uh, things get a little dicey when you get into some of these Old Testament stories. I was talking about Rahab the harlot, and I said, Rahab was a bad woman, okay? And that was my explanation. And I said, uh, the spies went to, spies went to her house, and, uh, and they stayed there because her house was kind of like a hotel. And uh, Kathy was sitting in the back, and she just was laughing at me. I mean, she's out and out laughing at me. And uh, uh, Andy Muxler was there as well. He's laughing at me. And so afterwards, I went to them, and I was like, look, I, I saw you laughing during the whole Rahab the harlot part, but I just want you to understand that that was true, all right? That really was they didn't have hotels back then. Um, you either stayed with a total stranger, you stayed with family, or you went to a brothel because that's where you could stay and spend the night. Okay, that's the way it was back then. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't just come up with some well, what's some kind of way I can get around this. I'll come up with a whole hotel analogy. No, that was that was really true, and I didn't go into any further detail. But even being age appropriate, we still can't sacrifice truth. So you just can't make up a way to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get around this. Okay, you still have to say what's true. So age appropriate, I didn't have to explain anymore, but not imprecise. All right, trying to be engaging, but we're not trying to provide entertainment. Okay, um, children ought not to be bored when they're being taught, but we're not there to do song and dance and entertain them. Okay, it's, it's not fun cartoon show with Pastor David. Um, the lesson ought to be told in a way that grabs their attention and so I, you know, I mean, I, I talk in a flamboyant way sometimes. I act out a story sometimes. Sometimes I'll do an object lesson that draws their attention to the story, things that I wouldn't do with, with adults necessarily. I want it to be engaging, but I'm not there to, to entertain them. Um, we want things to be fun, but we don't want it to be flippant, okay? Um, children's ministry is not a time for us to be flippant about the things of God. Uh, we want it to be enjoyable, but not at, not at the expense of truth and not at the expense of the sobriety that ought to come when we talk about God. Uh, we have game time every week, and yet game time is totally separate from lesson time. All right? And there's even a rule that you're not allowed talking about game time during lesson time because lesson time is more important. So we have to separate those things and say, look, there are things that are really important, and lesson time is it. So, all right, uh, moving quickly. Austin said that we want children's ministry to be a place where there's a safe environment. Um, we want your kids to be safe physically. In other words, I... We're trying not to play games where kids are going to get hurt, where they're slamming into each other, uh, age-appropriate games. And, I mean, that's going to happen. I mean, every week some kid gets a little bump on the head or falls down and hurts the elbow. And we want to minimize that as much as possible in a, in a physical kind of way. Um, you know, I, I always I carry a first aid kit every week. I mean, we're just trying to think about safety and not do things that are going to be harmful for the kids. Um, and we think about that, and that matters. Um, and... And really in today's society, secondly, we're not just looking for physical safety, but we're really looking for sexual safety when it comes to your kids. Um, it's a really uncomfortable thing. It's a regrettable thing about our society, but there are predators that lurk in churches um, looking for kids. And that's under, that's under our watch care. That's under mine directly, and it's under our responsibility as a church that there ought never to be a kid who is in danger at our church. Um, and so we do things to protect ourselves. Um, for instance... Um, you're never going to find me alone with a kid, ever. Um, it's the same, I mean, Adam and I have the same standard when it comes to the women. You're never going to find Adam and me alone with, with a lady. For counseling, the door is going to be open and someone else is going to be there. 
Um, we're never just going to drive a woman home. I mean, it's, it's something you want to avoid. And that kind of carefulness, unfortunately, in our day, has to extend to our kids. So we don't have guys taking kids to the bathroom. Um, we actually, uh, right now, don't even have guys changing diapers in the nursery. And all the women say, I, it was a guy that came up with that rule, I know, and uh, it was convenience. But no, it's not. We want to be as careful as we can because, unfortunately, we live in a really wicked society. And so we have to be extremely careful. And we have to set the bar even beyond what might even look to be you know, credible or say, that's ludicrous. Why would you go to that extent? Well, it matters. Um, the safety of our kid matters. And so we need to set uh, a high standard um, for these things. Um, and it needs to be something that we're aware of and that we're, we're on guard against um, in our whole church. Man, you, if you see a kid that doesn't belong, that's with somebody that they don't belong to, and they're walking around a corner, the whole church ought to be going, that's kind of weird. I, I should probably stick my head around the corner and see what's going on. Um, it's something that we ought to care about and we ought to be concerned about. Um, unfortunately, that's the way society is today, and it falls on us be careful with our kids okay we're a ministry to parents and we're a ministry to kids we try to we try we want parents to come while their kids are being taught age-appropriate teaching we want parents while they're being taught age-appropriately we want them to have peace of mind their kids are safe theologically they're safe physically they're safe sexually they're in the best place that they can be that's a service to parents the parents can just come sit focus on the message all right whether their kids are in the nursery or whether they're in seeds um, it really, children's ministry is a ministry to parents, and it's a ministry to children, and it's a ministry that ought to be one, one that's done in love. We ought to love our kids um, while we're doing it. Okay, just a couple things, uh, a couple weaknesses that I have thought of when it comes to children's ministry. Uh, number one, I think we need to become a better resource to parents. Uh, I'm a parent. Uh, some of you are newer parents, and you know that you are just, you are keenly aware of the fact that you've never been down this trail and you don't really necessarily know what you're doing and you learned a lot from experience and as much as possible we like to learn from other people's experiences um, and I think we really do a better job of providing resources I think we do a better job of, of doing ministry throughout the week um, man this is this is why this is church ministry uh, because some of you have been have been parents some of you are grandparents and you've got wisdom you've got you've got discernment you have wisdom through experience that you can really pass on to to parents and, and be a blessing to them um, and so I want my ministry to go throughout the week, um, whether it's calling parents or stopping in and seeing kids. I think we do a better job of that. Um, ministering to parents can't just be a Sunday thing either. Uh, we can't just say, well, I'm going to see you for five minutes on Sunday, and I'm going to be a good resource for you. Um, so that's a weakness I think we could, we could move forward on. And I also think just a practical weakness right now um, is in Bible memory. Um, we're not doing um, enough, and we don't have a good plan for Bible memory right now. It's something that needs to change. All right? So there's some weaknesses I've thought of. Uh, what can you do when it comes to children's ministry? Uh, first of all, you can pray. All right, And this is, again, why this is not just for parents. Every one of you can pray for our children. You want to pray for souls to be saved? Then, then pray for the parents of people that are sitting in this room tonight. And, and pray for the parents of our kids. Um, pray for our kids to come to salvation. Um, what else can you do? You can evangelize our kids. We have a lot of kids here. Do you want a mission field? then come over to the choir room with me, all right? Because there's a mission field right there, all right? You don't have to go to Taiwan or cross any seas. You just come walking across the grass, and there's a whole mission field right there of, of kids who are unbelievers that need the gospel. And you can minister to them. You don't have to be their parent to minister to them. Um, this is something that we can all do as a church. Uh, you can encourage our parents um, through biblical instruction, uh, through the wisdom of your experience. You can be an encouragement to parents. And lastly, you can serve in children's ministry. I don't know if you've considered this, but 
we are intentional about what we're doing. We're trying to do what we're doing for biblical reasons, and it's a place where you can serve. Uh, we're a young church. Uh, we don't have a lot of different things going on, but this is one thing that is going on every week, and so there's a demand every week for people to help serve, whether it's in the nursery or whether it's with me. There's always opportunities to serve with kids. And, and I really would love to see our children's ministry become a place where older people are coming along, they're helping our kids, they're helping our parents, I mean, that's a great thing. If you're an older person and, and you're, in, you're in seeds with me and you see maybe in a particular behavior and a kid and you try to help that kid and you see the parent later that night and you say, hey, I, just, man, I, I know you're trying to do the best you can. I just noticed that, man, your kid is just really selfish when it comes to mealtime. And, you know, I need to, and, you to, and be a help and be an encouragement. You can do that, um, and you can do that by serving, all right? Uh, we have plenty of opportunities for you to do that, and I would love to have your help. More importantly... We're trying to accomplish something with our kids. We're trying to evangelize them. We're trying to teach them the character of God. So we're ministering to kids and we're ministering to parents. And I think our whole church ought to throw our effort into this. This is a worthy cause. The the souls of children is a worthy cause to throw our effort into. And I know you're already doing that. Um, The fact that you're willing to have me as someone that, that spends his time ministering with kids shows that you're willing, you care about kids. Kids are not an afterthought here. Um, and yet you can, you can contribute more than, more than just having a pastor who works with kids. You can tri- contribute your own life to the life of parents and to the life of kids. Um, and, and they're worth it. Um, the souls of children are worth it. All right? And I think our church is it's right for us to care about kids and do whatever, whatever we can in our power to reach out to them. And I hope you'll, I hope you'll take that that challenge up for you, whether it's serving or whether you're going to start adding kids to your prayer list. Maybe you're going to adopt a family. You're going to say, hey, I'm going to take the Spomers and I'm going to pray for Jaden and for Blake and for Micah and for Shane and I'm going to pray for them every Tuesday. And they're on my prayer list and I'm just, I'm going to faithfully remember them. I do that. I mean, adopt a family. Pray for kids. And get involved in our children's lives and minister to them and minister to parents, okay? There's a gazillion different applications. Surely, if this is something that is important, you can come up with some of your own and and we can really get creative and we can get helpful with our kids.